0: All ended up with a figure that doesn't look exactly what I'm about to draw. I just wanna draw out spec out really quickly. So it's sort of similar to the data that you should have gotten, going to a little bit. of things, that the overall height of your contraction, the overall amount of tension generated, got bigger, you probably then saw the top of that waveform change a little bit. Instead of looking like a bunch of distinct sight, it started looking a little bit like just like spiky, 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 at the top. So I love like Kathy calls this um, the um, Marge Simpson look. So this whole experiment, what you're trying to do is make your waveforms go from Marge Simpson to Homer Simpson. Oh, no, no it's the Bart Simpson to Homer Simpson. method I'm like, what is the right one? Bart Simpson with the super spiky hair to um, Homer Simpson where you've got that nice absolute bald mm-hmm. head. So you start out with that super spiky top of the waveform and then as you increase process, you hit a point that we call unfused tetanus, unfused because you still got a little bit of arachnism going on, a little bit of spiky going on. But then finally at that nice super high would look like. I mean, the closest I can come is like a little jerk. Maybe you can think of that as a twitch, but even a little jerk of a muscle, when a human demonstrates that, isn't really the same as a twitch. So twitch is an incredibly artificial way of thinking about muscle contraction. Generally speaking, your body uses a fused titanic contraction. Think of your movements in real life. They're smooth, they're sustained. They're generally a relatively high force. And in order to accomplish that, our alpha motor neurons actually deliver these barrages of action potentials to create nice titanic contractions. So physiologically, this is all about what our muscles are actually doing. The question then is, when you think about the underlying molecular mechanism, why does this work for us? Why does this increased frequency of stimulation allow our muscles to generate high force, smooth, sustained interactions? I know all of you talked about this question, you know, with Kathy or with myself as we're going through the lab. So what did you come up with? What was your underlying molecular mechanism? calcium into your sarcoplasmic reticulum. Absolutely got to do that in order for for relaxation to happen. If you've got no time for relaxation, do you have any time to put the calcium away? Nope. And on top of that, think about it. That second stimulation comes. First of all, you had no time for the calcium to be put away. You sequestered in the first place. And now you're sending a new stimulation that's going to release even more calcium. Only are you allowing no time to resequester what you already released, but now you're releasing even more calcium. So now I've got more and more calcium floating around. Why is calcium so important? What's calcium going to do for us? Exocytosis. exocytosis. Oh, definitely. Calcium is definitely super duper key for your exocytosis. So Monica's backing us up a little bit, just reminding that the way we're eliciting the stimulation is neurotransmitter from your alpha motor neuron once we get that stimulus to the muscle fiber we release more calcium then in the muscle fiber what does the calcium then do in the muscle fiber? Uh, it binds to troponin. Nice, binds citroponin. What does that do? <coughs> Drinking drink enough water or whatever, like, what does water To allow all those events to occur for real. So a lot of times when we think about you know, muscle malfunction, and it's a bit of a kind of murky gray area, our understanding of what's really going on, but oftentimes you can try to trace it back to you. If you, you have the right ionic balance, you have the right body fluid composition to support the molecular processes that actually underlie the So that can be part of it sometimes, which really bad, right? so that's how I balance okay, trans water. Your body fluid's the way they What are we doing? When I say the molecular mechanism underlying a titanic contraction, that's what we mean. Bring it brings back calcium. Calcium the stars. Does this make sense? Questions? So the different star so bodies says- Psychological versus physiological is really just that, are you stopping it when you should, or not? All right, no, okay, so she's right here. I guess it's tired in the morning, do you get it? And you're just like not feeling not feeling love for physiology this morning? I just wanna make sure, I'm reading the audience right. I'm gonna move on from this, if you feel good. Okay, all right. Just a few words, a few, a, few, a few short words about the other key of muscle contraction, that ATP. Where does that ATP come from that we use to power these muscle contractions? And so I am going to cheat off of this fabulous figure uh, that I believe is right from your textbook, and I will post it online um, for you as well with the rest of. Activity, you run through that creatine phosphate stock to make a nice little bolus of ATP. If you continue with that activity then, you've got a couple of different options depending on whether or not you have oxygen available. So this then hopefully harks back to what you thought about previously in other biology classes. Again, we're not gonna do a deep dive into anaerobic versus aerobic forms of cellular metabolism, but just to remind yourselves that in the anaerobic form, if you don't have oxygen available, you're really relying on glycolysis. If you're delivering that glucose, if oxygen isn't available, you're able to generate some ATP and you make some acidic byproducts as well. This is a great way of generating energy, again, if you don't have oxygen. And also, if you're not worried about sustaining your activity for a fairly long time. So this particular estimate, I maybe a minute or more, just relying on that anaerobic pathway to fuel the work of your and muscle. If you've got oxygen available, and we do stringently hope that you always have oxygen available and you're a well-functioning uh, human and not you're totally taxing yourself or totally broken. Aerobic metabolism then, again, we're using glucose as our substrate. You can also use lots of other different kinds of energy forms to funnel into this pathway, which gives you a ton of ATP and energy to go for hours. This is like your energizer budding moment. So, in the presence of oxygen, anaerobic, uh, or sorry, aerobic respiration is gonna be there to give you a continuous supply of energy that you could really use for a super long time. The reason I really wanna point this out to you is, again, so you kinda got an overall idea of what are those pools of ATP that we can draw from, and also I wanna do a little bit of foreshadowing. When we think about this anaerobic pathway, Again, we're not going to do a deep dive into the biochemistry, but we think about some of these acidic byproducts that occur if you are making a change in absence of oxygen. That's actually going to be really important for us as we go forward and investigate with a little bit more diabetes and so We started out with some of that at the very beginning of the semester. It's going to be a thread that follows us through. Um, so we're going to be looking at that as we go forward. Um, we're also going to be thinking a little bit about how this might work in respiratory situations. Um, so, keeping in mind what's going on in anaerobic metabolism when you making this byproduct, tuck that away because we're definitely going to come back to that as we move forward and, and dovetail through a couple of other systems. So, again, I don't want you to freak out about the details of any of these pathways. Just know you've got these three main buckets your creatine phosphate, there to give you that quick burst of ATP, you continually recycle, phosphorylated creatine. You've got anaerobic absence of oxygen, make some acidic byproducts. Gets you another couple minutes or so of energy. Aerobic, then, this is your really big bang for the buck. If oxygen is there, you can be the go go money, making a lot of ATP for hours. That's the take home point from this. You get a little bit more foreshadowing than anything else as we move forward. Does that sound good? couple minutes kind of get those brain juices flowing give you an opportunity to chit chat with each other sort of wake your brains up before we segue into autonomic sound like a deal even if it doesn't sound like a deal we're gonna try it anyway thanks for coming on that okay so this one little case study, you got your preamble for you Choke, I would also be significantly worried. Maybe I do have an no, You it's something more than the whole like I just happened to swallow wrong. Everybody knows what that feels like, but it's a little bit more extreme than that. What kind of symptoms stand out at you? What sort of things is Sandy experiencing that you want to tuck away that maybe really jump out at you suggest, hey, and suggest a problem you might be Biggest symptoms? was that? Weakness in her limbs. Weakness in her limbs. Nice. What else? Ordered well, it. Droopy eyelids. Yeah, perfect. What else? Thank mm-hmm. share on So when the acetylcholine comes out it's looking to bind to it, right? So the calcium yeah. sort of exercises yeah. and allows the yeah. calcium yeah. to come yeah. out. Oh. Now that acetylcholine has like a we have a So then an action for the culture of can not be sent out yeah, yeah. The and also yeah the um, I I the not know it's called called I don't know. There you go. So you've targeted that receptor, this is what you all got. Receptor's not there, you can't find the neurotransmitter. Yes, Jessica. Um, will the receptors be phagocytized or what happens to them? So, uh, yeah, it so they'll actually probably be um, either like internally recycled or phagocytized you know, by another white blood cell, like out of that initial cell, um, they definitely will be destroyed in some way, shape, or form, whether it's like within the cell itself or actually phagocytized another cell, I'm really sure what the like, you know, that follows. Right, and so you went right to the heart of the matter, right, you've identified where the problem is, and then, you know, Val said, summarizing me, the, and then you can't do the rest of the cascade. But make sure, can you follow the rest of the cascade through? If you don't bind to the receptor, then you don't see what first step has to occur because of that nicotinic acetylcholine receptor. Action. Is the action potential first? A little bit of depolarization, that's your end plate potential. And if you don't get your end plate potential, then you don't get your big depolarization and your action potential. And so make sure that you can follow yourself all the way through with those steps and support. But hey, here's what's happening at the receptor, but these are all the steps afterwards that don't happen. Thus, I don't actually get muscle contraction. don't get that shortening and that potential development. Which is exactly what A lot of times it's just you can't generate that contraction, which exactly ties back to your original diagnosis. What do we call this disease? It's like the unpronounceable words. Yes. myasthenia gravis. Yeah, it's what we call an autoimmune disorder. You don't really understand as with most autoimmune disorders, like why people develop them. And the body endogenously makes these antibodies Did you find ways that you could treat it? Or do you have ideas how we might treat it, even if you don't know if this exists in real medical technology? Yeah. Nice, so Lita says steroids to suppress the immune system. Excellent, if you can kind of tamp down that immune system Could work. Yeah. What else? Maybe. Uh maybe like lowering the threshold potential. So what's that? But lowering the threshold potential? So you sign a simple advice, it will create some sort of limitation. And if that's To accomplish, but logically, it definitely tracks, make it a little bit easier to fire those actual potentials. <laughs> hey, okay, we're in the 21st century, big, big. About what we you going to say. Because it's something that yeah, attacks the other There you go. Yeah, and that's definitely a, a treatment that's actually used. If you can get something, and essentially like another antibody that attacks the antibodies in the first place, takes them out of commission, for sure. Anything else? <coughs> sure. Would there be a way to like activate the sodium channels without activating the acetylcholine receptors? Oh, so you're trying to make like another way to start a muscle action potential <laughs> without using to the nicotinic acetylcholine receptors? That would be very intriguing. I think we've got some fancy genetic and molecular biology work to do, but that would be an interesting an interesting way of pursuing activation of the muscle fibers. Yeah, like a blood transfusion? Ah, blood transfusion? What's your rationale? Totally? <laughs> if you can essentially flush out those antibodies, get rid of them through a blood transfusion, we actually do something called plasmapheresis where you essentially like filter the antibodies out of somebody's plasma and then return it to them. I'll do it. Evan? I was thinking about that too, the blood transfusion, but then I was thinking how often would you do that? Is it practical to continuously blood transfer? So because uh, mm-hmm. you'd have to do it continuously. Yeah, it wouldn't be a one and done solution. you might, I'm not sure on that one, I see I, I what you're saying, Just trying to trying yeah. to yeah. elevate the activity of the muscles, I'm not totally sure that's be the, the best way of accomplishing gonna, like, it. you to, like, give, <laughs> 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 elevate the activity. Again, I'm not sure your sympathetic nervous system would do that for you, but I'm going That particular to developing a disease. It seems so spontaneously arise. Um, we have. is bringing information in and the parent copy the autonomic There you go. So control the involuntary function another great way of thinking about that. Your autonomic division you then subdivide into which two branches? Sympathetic and your parasympathetic. Yeah. So Dimitri gave us a foreshadowing thinking about a sympathetic nervous system. Right, so when we think about both of these branches, sympathetic and parasympathetic. Branches of your autonomic nervous system. Again, we're talking about control of involuntary functions. So, generally speaking, these branches are going to be innervating smooth muscle and cardiac muscle, as well as things like glands, exocrine, or We're going to be thinking about for these particular branches, unlike the somatic motor division, where our targets are always skeletal muscles. When we think about the autonomic nervous system, we have a couple of sort of generating, or, uh, generating, general. start a word long nap you think about it and like no way that you spell it it seems right at all. <laughs> I'm right there with duly. Two L's. Two L's? Thank you very much. Okay, okay so target Duly innervated by sympathetic and parasympathetic. Again, generally speaking, because we can find exceptions. Also, when we think about those two branches, sympathetic and parasympathetic, they generally observe what we call antagonistic control on a target. What that means is that one branch is excitatory for that target, the other branch is inhibitory for that target. So, sympathetic. or inhibitory control, make your heart beat slower, slow down the idea. versus your GI tract, versus your guts. So if you are in a fight or flight situation, who do you want working really hard for you of those two organ systems? Heart. Your heart. You want that heart ramped up to let you sleep your life. So in that case, your sympathetic is gonna be excitatory to your heart. But when you're running for your life, do you care so much about digesting your sandwich? No, you can't get back to the sandwich later. Just get out of trouble first. Which means your sympathetic nervous system then is gonna be telling your guts to slow down. It's gonna be inhibiting their activity. So just wait on the sandwich and need all the energy to go to the heart so you can get out of the same situation. Unlike then, you think about your parasympathetic nervous system, it's gonna be most active in rest and digest. So when you're resting and digesting, do you need your heart beating 1,000 miles a minute? So, your parasympathetic is going to tell your heart to slow down, but now your parasympathetic is all about finishing up that sandwich. So, it's going to tell your guts to ramp up their activity, to excite, to do some really great digestion. So, you really got to think about what's the situation? What do you really want to accomplish? What does your body need to do? What are you worried about in a fight or flight versus rest or digest situation? That's then going to tell you how your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous systems are talking to each of your organs. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? That's a great question. Thank you. And the other thing that I've been saying, and I keep, I, to say this, I keep saying things like predominates or is most active. These two systems are always working together. It's never like you just turn one on and you turn the other one off. On. They're always both talking to their targets. It's just essentially a matter of who's talking more, who's talking a little bit louder. So if you are, more Put from that organ to match to accomplish what you need to in that moment, you know. So, right now, maybe you're a little bit closer to couch potato because you're all you know falling asleep because it's first thing in the morning on Wednesday. And I'm talking about physiology, which is very warm, but it's like you're closer to be more parasympathetic, less sympathetic, but you're not totally asleep, you're not totally not. True. It's a sliding scale, it gives you a lot of exquisite control. The fact that they work. I think you kind of answered my question, but yeah. so does do they both work together to kind of regulate um, so one doesn't go uh, too crazy? For example, if you're running away, right, for your life, your sympathetic's like, oh man, let's raise this heart rate. Then your parasympathetic's like, oh, this guy's gonna die if, if the heart rate goes too high. So then the parasympathetic comes in and kind of regulates that. So it will also have balance each other to a certain extent. There are situations. Do if you brought up a very good point that's definitely true, they do kind of exercise a little bit of balance with each other as well, a little bit about you know safeguards so you don't get too totally off the rails in one direction or Okay, and then would the sympathetic nervous system be able to receive input from like the auxiliary party? heart we've got ways to monitor now you've got some higher brain centers that are going to be paying attention to that they're then going to use the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems to alter what the heart is doing alter the output of the heart so the sympathetic and the parasympathetic they don't monitor directly the outcome of their action so to speak or of their innervation. but you've got other structures that we're eventually going to loop in that are paying attention so you know okay here's the output I got from that organ how now do I need to adjust sympathetic versus parasympathetic in order to bring it back in line with what I need? Does that answer your question? All right, so four sympathetic versus parasympathetic. Okay, we have one thing that's really important that's the same between the two systems, and then we've got a couple of ways of distinguishing between sympathetic and parasympathetic. So we've got a similarity and then a handful of. Our similarity is that when we think about output, we think about this information traveling through the synthetic branch and the parasympathetic branch. information is always following a two-neuron pathway. We've got a first neuron, which is actually that cell body is going to and it on out into your peripheral system, where it will synapse on the second neuron. That second neuron that is going to travel the rest of the way We call this first neuron of origin in the CNS. So where we find that preganglionic cell body in the CNS. Also, location of the ganglion. Neurotransmitters that are released from the pre and the postganglionic fibers. Okay, I'm actually On the left in red, we're gonna do sympathetic. And on the right in blue, parasympathetic. All right, so let's we'll see if we can answer a couple of these different questions with the diagram that we've got going Your synthetic nervous system. You want to ask point of origin of those preganglionic leonic neurons? The answer to that is your thoracic and lumbar spine. So I'm going to put a bunch of cell bodies. closed. So for example, look maybe. So short little pre-ganglionic fiber. We are synapsing on this nice little chain of ganglia that's and then that post ambient. You don't have some that are not synapsing on something, I just actually drew a couple too many on the diagram. So these guys are going and synapsing on something as well. I just didn't draw that many work on sacral part of your spinal cord way right down on the very bottom. So different DNS points of origin just where you're located for those cell bodies. And then the pre-ganglionic neurons are really So really long pre-amionic neuron. So nothing on a ganglia or a gale. Good point. Okay, so Dr. Wright brings out another excellent example. Blood vessels. So I've added another organ. We're tucking it in here. Questions? Oh, We're going to put it on the bottom. Blood vessels. Also, just get innervation from your sympathetic, not from your nerve So, tuck on the very bottom. I know I went, went too far down the board. It's so, a blood vessel. Just getting innervation from sympathetic. So, a couple of really important exceptions towards general rules insofar as, as that neuron and both-system intervention. But generally speaking, can comparison, that difference is in CNS point of origin as well as location of the The last thing to answer then is what's up with the neurotransmitter. So far, it's like, okay, we can this. gets a little bit cranky when we get to our target. For parasympathetic, I have good news for you, it is still acetylcholine. But different acetylcholine receptor. Now our receptor is the mustard